HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. And this is Greenhorns Radio. I'm happy to be coming to you live now from the Champlain Valley of New York. This is our weekly show, always with young and beginning farmers talking about what it's like. So today we have on the show somebody with a very good name. You're going to like this. His name is Roy Cowherd. And you are correct. He's not an accountant. He raises cattle. He's a cowherd, an actual fact. Hi, Roy. Hi. <laughs> Do people I'm, make I fun know, of your name? I'm sorry, I'm not, I didn't mean I to make fun. I, I know it's ridiculous, cow herd. It's a coincidence. But it's a lucky coincidence, though. You could use that for marketing, maybe. It is. Well, I'm sure there's a background there somewhere. Uh, would you mind giving a little overview of your operation uh, in Columbia okay. County? Okay. Um the actual farm that we own is 160 acres. It's all beef, all beef all the time. And we lease about 500 acres. I think it's 700 now. Um, so we do a larger operation than that. It's usually about 200 head of Angus and Hereford, although that's expanding. Um, and, it's, and we're very focused. You know, it's all beef cattle. Um, and... You know, we've been doing that for eight years. It's really come around in the last two to three years. And then we might come to that topic, the startup period. Um, and so basically, it's, uh, I'm not the only person around here doing it. You've got Gallagher Stud, Kinderhook Farms, these things that started out kind of the same 10 years ago, and they stayed with it, they stayed with it, and we're doing pretty well finally. So, obviously, it's really positive to look around Columbia County and see permanent fencing, contented cows grazing on grass only two hours north of New York City, where you have a pretty much unlimited audience for steak, uh, instead of having only uh, corn and beans or corn and corn. 
or <laughs> or uh, well, yeah. And well, and it's wonderful that to see that there are many businesses who are figuring out the long-term economic solvency that it takes to to do that. Will you talk about your particular model of how you how you identify land and 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 what you are looking for? Certainly, we have a plan. First, I'll say for anybody, have at least a plan uh, clear one, uh, and it can't be like a one-year plan you start off. But these things take time. I mean, things I thought would be three years took five. Five-year things took seven. Um, it has kind of worked. Uh, here's the story. In Dutchess County, Columbia County, Greene County, all county, you see the dairy farms have gone downhill, um, and they mostly get sold. So what we focus on is trying to find busted dairy farms, and we convert them into basically horse or beef cattle farms. Um, usually someone will sit there for a few years, um, no one's sure what to do with it. It does take some conversion work. We've gotten good at it. Um, and so basically we'll take your average, like, uh, busted dairy farm that went out of business. Maybe someone else bought it off and from the city. Who knows? Uh, they want someone to maintain it. We farm it basically for free. Most of our leases are a dollar a year. Uh, so they keep it maintained. They get, the, they get their share of tax benefits. We certainly get ours. And we develop it for pasture mainly. And that's the model. That's straightforward. So before you were a cowherd, you had another skill set that I'm sure has been useful to you in finessing the logistics of it, it, lease agreements and yeah, contracts. Well, can you can you talk about break, the yeah. skills that you're using to, to make these deals? That's somewhat of a lucky break. Um, I do happen to be, like, you know, a CPA and I work in the, you know, the business world and I'm a tax expert, et cetera. And that is an important part if you're trying to do a startup or any kind of an operation in these local counties around here. If you can marry your situation to someone that can take advantage of the tax benefits, it's very important. Let's take the property tax thing. You know, most of our leases, let's say it's a dollar a year, I mean, the average lease we do, the property owners, not only do we maintain it and keep it looking beautiful and take the hay and the clover, uh, but they get an average of, I'd say, you know, like fifteen dollars or $20,000 a year in property tax relief because they're part of a farming operation. It's very important. Um, and so really that, that, tax, uh, that tax benefit that is a, in the tax code that, says if land is being farmed as part of farming operation that you are paying agricultural tax value taxes instead of residential taxes. That's a game changer in terms of land access for landless farmers, is it not? It is. That that drives like three quarters of all of our lease situations is that one issue. A lot of people don't really understand it, 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 but that's what it comes down to. If it's used for farming, the property taxes are only one quarter of what they normally are. So if you had, like, say, like a 100-acre farm, and if, hey, if you've got a farmhouse, the taxes can be, like, pretty high, like 20000 But if you got the exemption, at the most, they're going to be, like, seven. And so 
someone else maintains it. Otherwise, that uh, new, usually a new owner or an heir, an heiress, someone died, whatever, they're going to have to pay someone to maintain it and pay the property taxes. These are super win-win situations, super. I mean, you know, they get the benefits. We take the pasture, basically. Uh, it's all maintained. Otherwise, it would grow up. They'd pay people to bush hog it. That might work. It might not. And the open space disappears. I mean, I work with the land conservancy a lot on that issue. And, and it's just, like, incredible win-win. I mean, the leases that we get, and it took us two to three years to, to even get those leases because a lot of people, you have to knock on a lot of, like, farmhouse doors to, to get someone that, um, understands it, and then they think about it for a year or two, and then fortunately, they usually say yes. Uh, fortunately, do, and then of course that's only the first half of the equation because then you also have to figure out how to make the business work, um, and that's not necessarily super easy when your assets are take two years, uh, up to two years to mature, and they're walking around. And uh, you've got to organize all the packing and shipping and cooling and slaughter and transport uh, and invent yourself a market. You want to reflect a little bit on yeah, well, the uh, slow uh, startup for, for no, animal-based no, operations? Uh, definitely. Uh, it is not easy. <laughs> um, and I will just say from uh, not just my experience, but the, some of the people doing the same thing I'm doing, uh, it, it can be kind of scary and disappointing in the beginning. Um, but if you kind of, you know, I'll come to an important part. Uh, or any kind of cooperative, cooperative relationships that can be done must be pressed. Now, it's not easy. Even that takes two to five years. Anyone you can talk to, share equipment, chat them up. How did they do it? That's important. You can go through all the Internet articles and books you want to, and I do that too. We all do. But mainly it's talking to people who have done it. Or, you know, you can share equipment, help each other out in an emergency. Um, and, and that's what really gets you through what I call the survival period, which can be like five years. I mean, you know, you know fortunately I've seen this work, but as recently as three years ago, even Roy Calvert was pretty scared about the situation. <laughs> so mainly cooperative relationships, uh, these leases. Now, I, I want to say one thing quickly, because that's your keys to the kingdom, are the leases. They're a dollar a year. You've got to work into someone that can offset that, take advantage of the tax situation. Um, verbal is just as good as written. We've done a lot of leases in the last two to three years. We went to seminars. Now we actually teach the set, volunteer for the land conservancy seminars. Um, you know, because if, if you scare someone with a 20-page legalese lease, they're not going to do it. And if the relationship breaks down, it doesn't matter how many written pages you've got, it's over anyway. And the very best leases we have is just like, see a farm, they haven't cut it or done anything with it for two to three years, we just stop in and say, hey, um, it's going downhill, we'll do it for free, it's a, we'll pay you a dollar a year, 
you get these benefits and look great. And that has actually worked a lot better than I thought it would three years ago. Now we're really good at it. So, you know, on those leases, I've been to a bunch of seminars on it. You know, I got a legal background myself. Verbal is just as good as written. It is. Well, so, you know, verbal may be good as written if there's, if it's on an annual basis and they've got fencing, if they haven't got fencing, my pushback would be, you know, you're making significant upgrades to their, you know, to sunken infrastructure uh, for for beef animals that has to be secure if you're near highways, and yeah, well, I, you may yeah, not be right. able to make that kind of investment. No, you're right. Okay, excellent. I can tell you've been through this topic. Good. Uh, no, if you have to make an investment, then it must be written. Because uh, I've faced this occasionally where, you know, your example is a perfect one. Or maybe you have to maybe you have to put some lime on depleted soil. That's uh, it's a big investment. Uh, in those situations, uh, I absolutely have it written, and I have a recapture. This is a Roy Cower special recapture provision where it says, hey, I put like $10,000 into it. Um, you gave me a 10-year lease, and if for any reason you back out, you owe me the $10,000. Because if you invest money in it, which I usually don't have to do, but there's a lot of depleted farms here, mainly from corn and crops when they kind of semi-ruin the soil, you got to put some effort and money into it. In those situations, I definitely have a rent agreement. On the other hand, if it's in great shape to begin with, and they just want someone to, like, farm it, then it's a little looser. So in that, you find the kernel of guidance for both landowners who may be listening and farmers who may be listening, or ranchers, we could say, um, and that is, you know, figure out what your goals are for the property. Uh, if your goals are as a, as a, as a steward to be, you know, investing long-term in infrastructure, in soil health, managing intensively, putting in water lines, et cetera, et cetera, then you, you will, as a result, act in a way that reflects that goal. And if you, as a landowner, are interested in someone making those kinds of investments, know that they're going uh, to need the security. If you're unwilling to give the security, then know that you, as a landowner, uh, will need to make the investments such that people would be satisfied to just graze on and graze off. Um, And, of course, if you look at the larger picture of grazing in this country, uh, a big part of the grazing lands used to grow our American beef product are, in fact, public lands, which are on a lease basis. So it's not unusual in the industry uh, to be based like that. No, no, timely topic. Uh, there's uh, we just got a public land lease. Um, it's uh, this big park, it's 150 acres. It's called Harrier Hill. It's uh, it's run by Scenic Hudson. It, it overlooks the Hudson. It's, now it's a huge public park, but they were just paying to maintain that. I knew that land before DEC and the state and Scenic Hudson got it. It was a perfect hay field. Someone let it go downhill. They bought it. They were paying people a lot of money to maintain it. Uh, it's the first one in Columbia or Green Counties. We're like pioneers on this public land leasing. Um, 
I just went to him and said, hey, you're paying all this money to maintain it. This is a perfectly potential great clover and hayfield pasture situation. Let's just do it. I'm going to make an investment. In that case, everything had to be written um, because then you're, uh, you know, then you're putting like ten thousand here, ten thousand there. You, you got to have like a long-term lease thing, which we do have. This public land is a prototype for this entire area, um, and we expect to do more of them. And that, how did that come about? Just me driving around and my one of my farm managers, and I say, hey, let's just call up DEC and CD Clemson and say, no, we'll do it. This is the deal. They have their rules. You can only, like, work on it at certain times. They want to maintain the, the, the natural habitat, bird life, and whatnot. And that's really working out well. So the public lands thing, uh, they're still the rules, but we obey the rules. So that is really, as a matter of fact, that's 200 of the 700 right there. So, you know, there's, I, I, I read this study that said that New York State mows with a lawnmower, you know, they mow 800,000 acres of land currently. So this we were part insane. of it. Uh, isn't that crazy? This is insane. I mean, that, you know, again, we're, we're going to get a lot of these because we put, this took a lot of phone calls, a lot of meetings, going to Albany, talking to DEC, talking to City Hudson, everybody. We bowled it through. We got it. Everyone's happy with how it's coming out. Um, and uh, it, those are coming well, but to this day, I see these situations, yes, on public lands where they are paying a lot of money to basically mow bush hog a perfectly good clover field. And, and this makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> Well, and you know, you obviously have the advantage of of not being such a young spring chicken, although you're new, I guess only eight years in agriculture, so you still be considered a, a beginning farmer. You do have a strong business background, and you know a bit of history in business, whereas many times someone younger than you or who has no external to agriculture business experience may have a harder time convincing those parties of their legitimacy, uh, what would be your guidance to those people? How, how can they really prove their worth to the public agency? Great, 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 great question, because it's hard enough for me to do it. Um, now, um, there is a, a somewhat of a persistence angle. One problem is, in such a win-win situation, a lot of people have a hard time believing it. That is a specific problem. It's, you know, moderately straightforward. You farm it, you turn this, they get the benefit, you keep it clean and beautiful. That's the simple thing to it. But this is such a win-win situation that our typical thing, if it's not public lands, will be like a, 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 they call them newcomers, Weekenders, they're great. I guess I'm a newcomer too. Um, and we go to them, and they're they're kind of new to the whole situation. And they've often been used and abused by local contractors before you met them. That's a problem. Where 
people that they promised to do this, they promised to do that, it didn't happen, and now they're frustrated and they don't trust anyone. And basically, in answer to your question, um, you know, every seminar anyone could go, I don't care, Cornell Co-op, Land Conservancy, anybody, when they do a seminar on leasing or, you know, accounting, farm accounting or farm development, could be a specific thing, I don't care what, organic farming, non-organic beef cattle, I don't care, go to it and talk to everybody you can. And from hearing enough people like me run at the mouth, you'll start to get a fair idea that, yes, this is the normal situation. You do your standard $1 a year lease, you know, they get their benefits, you keep their place looking perfect, Otherwise, they would have lost like forty or fifty thousand bucks a year, and everybody wins. And usually, at first, they don't believe it. If if, if you do a, a few follow-ups, um, they'll think about it for like a year, and then usually say yes. So this is the thing, and, and I just wanted to reiterate for those who are not familiar yet. You know, I'm. Sh- it's not very. It doesn't take you very long to find out the prejudices of the system, and that, that it's sometimes hard to be on a grass-based program when you're talking with uh, service providers, extension banks, you know, conventional cattlemen, et cetera. And and a big part of surviving and persisting with your stewardship goals and your animal husbandry goals and your Grazing goals is not getting too aggressive or, or confrontational if, you know, old-timers are, or public no, agencies, no, right. but, no, no, but no, standing no, your no. ground <laughs> at the same you time. You never do this. right. It is, it is the middle ground. Um, now, uh, something else, you know, I'm a local local here now. I mean, these are long-term relationships. You know, even old enemies might help you later, and that does happen. Um no, no, it's important on the relationship side. Just talk to everybody. You know, it, it, there's a lot, you hit a lot of dry holes on that. Um, sometimes you can't figure out why they won't work together with you. It's often because they had a disappointment in the past, so it has nothing to do with you. Uh, but over enough time, and, and this, this took like four or five years to really get their relationships going, but they have. Uh, because you, over time, you develop a relationship for being reliable. Um, you know, if you borrow their equipment, you don't bring it back all broken and say you didn't do it and things like that. Um, and so, fortunately, this is working pretty well. But on the uh, on the relationship side, it's just a matter you can't be shy about it. At these seminars, I don't care. You know, on the street in Hudson, at the stockyards, at wherever. Just chat up everyone you can. It's so important. Well, and again, you know, we're we're talking about a situation in which many times farmers who are really nearby each other are not getting enough chance or making enough opportunity to socialize or, you know, know a little bit more about each other's operations. No, and no, no, it's you're incredibly exactly incredibly important right. to to be proactive. No, we don't have the grains as active anymore. You're exactly right, uh, and me and uh, my main farm manager, we have about eight or ten people total now. You know, what we do, uh, a lot of these uh, very types of 
farmers you're talking about, they're all the older guys, like in their 70s or 80s or 90s. Um, we just go in there, when they, and they're usually glad to have someone engage them. They've kind of been isolated for like who knows how long. And they're kind of glad for it, and it usually comes out pretty well. They're often kind of shocked that you just walk right up and say, hey, this is crazy. Why would we both buy a hay baler? You know, instead of just like using the same one. And, and, and that, uh, it took some time, but just from uh, sheer, uh, I wouldn't call it force of personality, when, when me or him step up, we're just honest. We just say, hey, let's cooperate and share some people, labor, equipment. And, you know, half the time it works, half the time it doesn't. But even that, I'll leave it well. Um, and I'll call you back later and say I'll talk about it again. So it, it, it's, that has been disappointing that there's not even more cooperation. That has... It's gotten pretty good in the last two to three years, but overall, I just don't see why people would duplicate the equipment and, and not tell each other more. Well, and so this, you know, for for my generation, I think a, a big part of this has to do with becoming familiar with a different social platform. You know, many of us are very adept at Facebooking and email and communicating online and sharing information online, we aren't necessarily as programmed by our upbringing and by our education to show up with a pie, to spend enough time to hang around and chat, to deliberately gather and share information that may be of use to other people. And I don't mean gossiping. I just mean passing the time of day, but also keeping an eye out for what may be going on that's useful to other people. And so I think no, a big part yeah, of the yeah. slowing down and, and committing to a certain place has to do with relearning uh, that skill set and, and get that equipment. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like re- relearning like a, a past world, but I'll agree with one thing. If I could do this and my manager through Facebook and email, and I certainly do enough of both, I would. But at some point, especially uh, some older person, retired, whatever, and they have 300 going-to-waste acres. you gotta, you got to go in there. I mean, there's no Facebooking them. Um, and, and they're often very enthusiastic. They actually have someone step up and, you know, in your example, sure, bring the apple pie or, like, whatever the heck. Um, and... and well, I'm totally figuring out their needs, you know. I mean, I was just imagining these dairy farms and imagining all the management, you know, the, the neglect and the deferred maintenance and leaky manure lagoons and fences that have come down and just thinking in terms of how to, how what they're looking to get out of it and, and basing your negotiation around that. So what are some of the things that you find in these busted old dairy farms you have contamination issues, farm shop issues. What are you seeing, just for those who might want to follow your model? Okay, well, come right to it. Um, yes, uh, unfortunately, you do have toxic waste problems at busted dairy farms. Um, it often comes when they had a contractor business on the side, 
Um, and, you know, dairy farms are huge money operations. Someone that has, like me, myself, like a couple hundred beef cattle, that is nothing compared to 100 milkers on an economic basis. That would be like having 500 beef cattle because of the inputs and outputs and the whole industrial nature. So they pile up a lot of equipment. you got your, you know, cesspools or whatever. And you got, like, old equipment and, and batteries and oil, and those are major recovery things, which I've learned from painful experience. And I'm not the only one. Um, but, you know, it's worked into the price. So, you know, for people who are looking at it, like, work at least at whatever, um, you kind of look around, and, and it does reduce the price. Fortunately, uh, you know, I'm trying to avoid that now because those things, are, and it's really good land, the buildings are good, but that is an issue. Um, try to convert it. Uh, a dairy farm is not a horse or a beef cattle farm. The bars are different. Um and, and, and the fencing is zero. That's a major issue because of liability issues. When you're only two hours north of New York City, you know, I want to get this in. Liability is huge. Animals getting out could be horses, goats, sheep, cattle, llamas. I don't care what. Those animals getting out this close to New York City, that has been unfortunate. Uh, because it means you got to keep a super eye on your fencing thing. So a busted, back to your question, a busted dairy farm, you got to fix it. Um, and, uh, and that soil, if they had cornfields or soybean, it's really depleted. I mean, now, personally, me and my guys, we do the full-blown natural, you know, not organic, but it's much cheaper and easier to keep those grass fields and clover fields going naturally instead of this constant feeding thing that the crop farmers do. So a busted dairy farm, I don't care if you lease like 25 acres of it, you're going to have to like lime it. I personally don't believe in fertilizer because if you handle it properly with enough of the right mixtures of grasses and clovers, it it rejuvenates itself. Um, so this constant, like, well, I've never used fertilizer, I don't have to. But mainly, there's a recovery time. If someone's going to lease that, that's where, back to my, they wouldn't need a written lease. Because I'm not going into a 25-acre field and put, like, $12,000 into it to use it for 20 years and have that person, whoever it is, tell me the next year, after I put that money into it, well, my brother-in-law... He always wanted to farm this field. See? Well, there's, so there's there, where there you need to make friends with a lawyer. <laughs> no, 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 no. But these things are available on a massive scale, especially Dutchess County. Now, Columbia County, too, Green County, hell, even Rensselaer. Uh, they are available only just in the 10 years. Eight years I've been here, half of all the dairy farms have gone out of business. And, and that's what we focus on. And, you know, quickly say, focus. you got to have a plan. you got to raise sheep, become a sheep expert, whatever. You know, in our case, that's our deal. We look for busted dairy farms. 
and cure them in either horse or beef cattle operations. And sometimes the next new idea, two years later, oh, corn prices are high, let's become corn farmers. And then two years later, it's soybeans. And then it's like llamas. You can't be running after the new idea all the time. It, you know, it sounds great. It will get expensive. You're always trying to become an expert at llamas or corn. It's better to, as painful as it is, pick out something. Decide that you're going to stay with it during the bad years, which is basically like two through four, five, two to five years. You're going to stay with it. You'll get good at it, and then you're okay. Well, that sounds like solid advice in any field, and we hope that the field of grass-fed beef will appeal to many more young people. You may be able to call up Roy for some advice if you help him put up some fence. I'm sure he'll give you as much as you want. There is a lot. There is a lot of momentum in grass-based systems, um, with most regions now having at least some pasturage associations, grazier associations. Go online and look at the Stockman Grass Farmer, Gray's Magazine, Small Farmer's Journal. There's a Northeast Grazers. There's a Vermont Grazers. Uh, ask your NRCS people about it. There are grants that are specifically for pasture and perennial pasture-based systems. So there's actually never been a better time, especially as we're talking about carbon in the soil, and this has been a theme on Greenhorns Radio, so you shouldn't be surprised if you're a regular listener. Uh, there's never been a better time to get into multi-species grazing, intensive uh, intensive management of your pasture system. This is it. This is the opportunity, and especially if you're near a city where all the land is owned by absentee landowners or is broken down carries, this is really a business model that uh, has serious potential if you can last those five years uh, and have a certain amount of cash and credibility when you walk in. So there's the summary. Roy, you have any other resources you want to tag before we sign off? Okay, quick little thing. That was one hell of a good summary. <laughs> you know, it's just the regular. A stockman grass farmer, that's good. But quickly, Cornell Co-op is not that bad. The Land Conservancy. Here's the Columbia Land Conservancy. Every county has one. Um, and uh, anybody, again, anyone that does any kind of seminars, you guys, anybody, you know, chat them up. Uh, if you have any contact information for me, I'm kind of like, I've become like information control central here. Um, anyone can ask me anything. We help anybody anytime. And amazingly, they all can help us back someday. That's it. Well, it's a complex reciprocity, but we have to believe in it, that's for sure. So this has been another episode of Greenhorns Radio, brought to you by Hearst Ranch, which is a grass-fed operation out in coastal California. Many uh, events are coming up, screenhorn screenings west and east in the U.K. and other ways. Uh, We are about to be releasing our new Farmer's Almanac on December 20th. So if you hadn't heard about that yet, go and look at it. Um, There's a pre-sale button on the website where you can buy it uh, in advance payment so that you'll get the first hot copies that are hand-sewn and hand-bound. 
Um, right now, we already have 85 pages, and we're just neck deep in editing that. So it's fun and intense. Um, I thank you so much, Roy. Have a great day. Okay, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.